Well, as we uh, get closer and closer to Christmas and we work our way through the Advent wreath, with each candle that is lit, we have the symbol that as the day of Christ's birth came, more and more light was given to us through the prophets, through the fathers who had uh, experienced the firsthand, the firsthand the work of God in their lives and in their families through the various songs that had been written regarding God's majesty. Each and every one of those things, through the course of time, over the course of more than 2,000 years, brought greater and greater light as to what God exactly was going to be doing among men here in the earth. And so, even as we have gone through Mary's, the, the announcement to Mary this young virgin to whom Gabriel the angel came. We've been looking at these names of Jesus that are stated in this, and we're seeing greater and greater light as to what kind of a person this is going to be. And so we begin with the reading of that passage where Gabriel comes to Mary and makes the announcement to her as to what is going to be taking place. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 26 through 35. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary's response, as stunning as what it is, is simple. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you for your word, which is preserved for us. Things that would be too incredible to believe were it not attended by your Holy Spirit. Almost, almost absurd to us were it not testified to us by your Holy Spirit. And so we would pray that you would open up the passage to us and give us a glimpse 
of this Messiah that you have sent to us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. In looking at the names for the Lord Jesus Christ, we have looked at the name Jesus, which means salvation is of the Lord. That is, that God brings salvation according to his will to his people. And so his, whole na- his name was basically a constant declaration that this was the work of God in the hearts of those who would turn to him that he would be the savior to save them from their sins. Okay? The second name we saw is that he would be called Son of the Most High. And by that, we came to understand that the word Most High referred to God's transcendent overall sovereignty over all things. That meteorites don't pass through our atmosphere without the hand of God appointing it. That molecules or dust particles don't dance in the sunlight in this room without God's sovereign direction. That God is over angels, he's over planets, he's over men, he's over devils, he's over everything. He is most high and sovereign, transcendent. But he's not a God who's far away. He is a God who is near. He's personal. To be most high does not mean to be most aloof. It means to be most present and still sovereign. This morning, I'm going to ask you to be a little bit patient with me because we want to talk about this third name, but I need to start off with three stories that I have to tell you. There might be a little bit of an edge to these stories, but it's important for me to bring out clearly just what it is that's been said about this Jesus. The first story starts with, Mom, Ken pushed my bike down. Mom, Ken won't let me play. He won't give me the basketball. I am the oldest of seven kids, six of them boys. That alone will probably give some of you the willies. It's like, what would life be like if I had to live with six boys? Six six yard apes, right? We lived in a subdivision just outside of town that was actually laid out in a triangular fashion. So there were three roads, they were connected point to point, there were only two accesses to this subdivision, so we had one of the best places around for just bicycling around the subdivision. There were houses on the outside of these three roads, and then there were lots on the inside. And literally, it became a race course for us while we were growing up. Even at eight years old, we had the freedom to go out and to ride around this three-quarter mile subdivision without parents worrying about us. We were in a compound, basically. (laughs) And everybody knew everybody, so to speak. Those were the days. Well, often we would gather our friends and we would ride around the neighborhood in little gangs. We weren't malicious. We were just kids, right? Ken, who is my brother of three years younger than me, decided that he wanted to go out for a ride, but he didn't want Joe 
the brother who was four years younger than him to go with him. And so he pushed Joe's, bikes down, bike, Joe's bike down, and he rode off very quickly so that Joe could not catch up with him. Well, Joe selected the only other alternative available to him. He ran into the house to complain to Mom. Ken pushed my bike down. He wanted Mom to do something. Later that week, Ken was shooting baskets, and Joe wanted to shoot baskets in the driveway, you know, do some hoops in the driveway. And Ken, he, Joe started for the ball, and Ken reached over and slapped the ball out of uh, Joe's hands and then took it, and Joe, of course, <clears throat> went, ran into the house to say, Mom, he's not letting me play. That's story number one. Story number two actually begins with an explosion in the middle of the night in a fire base in Vietnam. I was mercifully blessed with an excellent company unit of about 75 men that took mutual respect and support seriously. It wasn't that in every company, though. It wasn't that way in every company, though. It wasn't long after I had arrived in country that troubling stories began to trickle in of deep anger among some of the troops in other companies. One story told of a hard-nosed master sergeant, a tough old bird who had done his time in the field, who demanded the most and the best from his troops in his company, and they did their utmost to deliver. But what they also found out was that this master sergeant had no compassion. Even when the soldiers needed something that was personal, he didn't have any compassion. He was feared and obeyed and disliked. In one instance, a soldier was sick and probably needed some medical attention, but he was sent to the field anyway because the master sergeant felt, well, you know, you're a soldier now. You better suck it up and get out there and join your buddies in the jungle. This sick soldier became a burden to the entire platoon. It hampered their effectiveness for patrols and defending themselves against attack. When they returned from the field, one of the platoon leaders complained to the master sergeant about his poor decision. This landed him in the brig for three days. And while this leader was in the brig, someone else from the platoon, out of anger and frustration, in the middle of the night, took a live grenade and rolled it into the master sergeant's tent. The third story starts with the angry outburst of a woman with children because her husband was taken away at gunpoint in the middle of the afternoon because he was aligned with the wrong political party. This story is about a little island nation that shall remain unnamed. In this nation, there have been 45 leaders since the country achieved independence in 1804. With the exception of only a few, these leaders have pillaged and plundered the nation. They have ruled as despots, stifled opposition, violated human rights, operated with false intent, and built up their own bank accounts on the back of the country's poor. 
An executive director of the National Human Rights Defense Network in the capital city said they don't really want to work for the people to improve them. They work for themselves. Once they get to power, they want to steal money. These rulers at various times arbitrarily banned political activity, muzzled the press, and made the National Treasury their personal piggy bank. They engaged in political repression, drug trafficking, and sometimes even selling the corpses of their citizens to foreign medical institutions. In some cases, the leaders of this little nation eliminated the legislature. They awarded themselves land. They used public funds for personal luxuries. Some of them ruled with an iron fist, keeping the population in check with a ruthless militia that at one point murdered 60,000 of their own countrymen. Through these leaders, poverty, racial discord, political instability have plagued the small country throughout its history. 23 of the country's leaders were overthrown. There's one thing that holds all of these stories together. It's something that resonates in our own heart because if we found ourselves in a similar situation, we too would voice our concern. And that would be the mild way of putting it. The thing that threads these stories together is the need for justice. The need for justice. My brother Joe wanted someone to make a pronouncement regarding Ken's behavior. The people of the Little Island Nation want rulers who would not enrich themselves at the suppression of a poor populace, but make the best decisions for all of the citizenry. We want that now, don't we? We want that here, don't we? The troops in that unfortunate company wanted wise compassion from a supposedly experienced leader. They all wanted true justice and uprightness and compassion. What we desire is some standard of uprightness and justice throughout the whole earth, throughout the whole world of men and women. We want it for our families. We want it in our communities. We want it in our nation. We want it between nations. We want it for the church. Without a standard for all men and women, we are like the people of the Bible during the years after Joshua had led the people into the promised land and helped them with their conquest. After Joshua's death and after the passing of the next generation, God raised up judges to guide the people in what was right. But the people were wayward in the worst possible way. In some cases, they set up their own priests, even though God had given them a Levitical priesthood. They made up rules and laws to suit their own circumstances. We don't know what that's like, do we? 
They did things randomly without consulting anyone as to what was right or upright. They collected other gods that would compete with Yahweh, their true God. They treated people with contempt and even abused them. The supposed people that had tasted the redemption of God. So during the days of the judges, we have a description of what this is. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That shows up periodically in the book of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king to pull them together. There was no king who would set over them and bring uprightness into the land. Eventually, they started crying out for a king. And as they said, we want, one, we want a king like the other nations have. They didn't want judges anymore. They wanted an earthly king who would best lead them and represent them. But God answered their prayer in a way they didn't expect. He gave them a king like the other nations. He gave them Saul. Saul was kind of random. He did things that didn't benefit the people. Through this, what the people realized is that they needed a just king, a king who was just, a righteous king, A good king. That's what they really needed. They didn't want one like the nations because the nations were capricious. The nations were doing these wicked things. So they really didn't want a king like that. They wanted a true king, a just king, an upright king. And so the Lord graciously gave them David, who God said is a man after my own heart. But then at this point, God gives them a promise. And the promise is, I'm going to raise up another king after you, David, who will sit on your throne forever and who will bring righteousness and justice and peace and grace. And for the next thousand years, they longed for that king to arrive. At this point, I have to say, we are very often like the people of Israel in the days of their judges. We might have local leaders, even regional leaders, even some who are good and some who might not be so good. Even the church has pastors and leaders, some who are good and some who are not so good. But actually, since the fall into sin, most of us are such that we mostly make stuff up as we go along. Mostly. It's how we treat our siblings. How we treat other leaders. We just make it up as we go along. Whatever seems expedient for us, right? Kind of go that way. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes, satisfying his own self. Even when we know for certain what we know is right before God, we do what is good in our own eyes. And then we start crashing into one another. 
We run to mom. We run to our congressman. We run to the courts and cry out for justice. We want justice, but we want justice which is in our favor, right? As we look around at our day, this is what we see throughout the land, increasingly throughout the world. This is why the courts are filled up with cases between people who are angry with one another, irritated with one another, want to have supremacy over one another. That's why the Supreme Court has to decide all manner of laws conflict between conflicting viewpoints. And when this happens when nobody can really give us a solution, when this doesn't happen, that we can't get a solution, we want somebody to fix it. We want somebody to fix it. In many cases, we want anybody who will fix it in our favor. You know, that's how France got Napoleon. France was in chaos. France was a mess. And they said, we need somebody. We need somebody to get in here and fix this. And Napoleon came along and said, I'll fix it. But I'll be your emperor. In fact, I'll not just be your emperor. I'll be the emperor of Europe. And maybe I won't even stop there. Maybe I'll just be the emperor of the world. And we're going to go after Russia on top of it. And what we really long for is one standard of justness, one standard of uprightness, which genuinely applies to all people. What we long for is a king. We might not think that we do, but we need a king. We need a king who is righteous, just, compassionate, loving, human, a true king, an upright king, a king with genuine integrity, a just king who reigns and rules over our hearts and over our minds and over our relationships and over our community and over the whole earth. That's what we really want, and our hearts cry out for it. And so God gave us the son of David. He will be great and he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Promise fulfilled. Promise fulfilled. We have that king. His name is King Jesus. He's come. Does that mean there's not oppression in the world? Oh, there certainly is. There's still enemies. But you know what? Among God's people who are reigned and ruled by his spirit, we have a king. 
a king who helps to decide between us if there is some sort of conflict, a king who decides what is right and who declares what is right. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Mighty, powerful, sword-swinging king? No. What's his first name? Wonderful counselor. A king who gives wise advice. He is mighty God. He's not a God who comes crushing. He's a God who comes in tenderness, approaching gently. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. All that we long for in terms of uprightness and holiness we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the promised king. He is the promise fulfilled which was announced to David through the prophet Samuel. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is the blessing that was promised in Deuteronomy, the blessing that was seen in the pattern that was set for us by Solomon when Solomon first came to power. You know the story, right? Two prostitutes came to him. They both had babies, and one of them died during the night. And so the one woman says to Solomon, uh, you know, this woman stole my baby and, and because her baby died, and so... You know, you, you need to do something. And the other woman said, no, it's my baby. And she's, she's trying to take it. And Solomon said, you know, we're going to solve this. And he brought out a sword. And he said, cut the baby in half. Give him each half. And the mother said, no. Give the baby to her. It's okay. She can have it. And Solomon said, the child is hers. Send this other one to prison. What a picture for us. When we have disputes, when we have things that grieve us, when they anger us, when they strive inside because we want justice, we go to the king and the king pulls out his sword of truth. Wise counselor. Prince of peace. And he says, here's where the truth must prevail. And that truth divides between right and wrong, between soul and spirit. That's our king. This is the child that was promised. This is the child who would take the throne of his father, David, who Mary bears to us. And we've seen throughout scripture and in the world around us that he's a reliable king. This is the king that Adam was supposed to be and couldn't do it. This is the king that David did his best to model by having a heart for God and seeking his will. The king that Solomon symbolized. 
the king who stands in his might and shepherds his people with love. This is a king who, when he goes to battle, he doesn't throw his pawns out into the front lines, but a king who lays his life down first in order to bless his citizens. This is our king. King who is son of the Most High, who is Savior, the promised one who shall sit on the throne forever. Rejoice, beloved. The promise is fulfilled. Justice is given to us, but it's a holy justice that comes from the throne of God because on that throne sits a Savior, Jesus. Jesus the Christ, the Savior, who reigns and rules in the power of the Lord and shepherds his people. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God, you know how we need you. You know how swift we are to want to be a people who runs off and does whatever is right in our own eyes, forgetting that we really have a king. We are not without a king. May we rejoice that you've sent this king to bless us, that you've sent your son, our Lord Jesus, and that, Lord, We can turn to his word and be given wisdom. We can turn to his word and be given insight. We can learn your will for us and see our lives brought to it. Thank you for such profound grace. Thank you for such tender mercy. Thank you that the sword that's wielded is a sword of truth, something that we hunger for and long for and desire. We would ask that you'd set up your kingdom throughout the whole world, Lord. Do it soon. We are broken, thrashing, writhing people who need you to come and establish your kingdom soon. In the meantime, Lord, reign and rule in our hearts. There's nobody else who is worthy or can do it well. In your name we pray, amen.